All 193 countries of the United Nations have declared it a concern of all nations, and the European Space Agency has made tackling it a key priority. Now, ESA and the UN have joined forces to highlight this topic of global concern, space debris. I'm Rosa Jesse, editor at ESA's Spacecraft Operations Centre in Germany, and in this podcast series, we'll speak to experts on space debris, space policy, space law, and more. Each podcast episode comes with a corresponding infographic, beautifully illustrating the issues raised. Find them in the podcast notes at isa.int slash space debris or at usa.org. Episode 4. We're launching more than ever before with Ian Freeman and Francesca Letizia. So my name is Francesca, Francesca Letizia. I am a space debris engineer at the space debris office of the European Space Agency, uh, where I, I work on looking at how we use space and how we comply with existing space debris mitigation guidelines. Hi, um, my name is Ian, Ian Freeman, and I'm an associate program officer uh, at the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, working on external relations. Um, I'm a former diplomat, now working at the UN on space policy. And my role at the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs is dealing with partnerships and uh, working with external stakeholders. Thanks both for joining. So this episode is about the sheer amount of stuff we're sending to space and how that's changed over time. Ian, maybe you could describe how the number of launches has evolved from the first time we sent that tiny little Sputnik satellite to space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, this takes us back to 1957, when humankind launched the first ever object into space and started this uh, this amazing journey that gets us all the way here to, to 2020. And it's been a fairly relentless expansion in terms of how we use space and how we uh, use space through the objects that we launch into it. And obviously, when we say objects in in space, we, we mean satellites, um, first and foremost. But then there are a surprising uh, other number of objects which uh, are launched uh, with the next biggest category being um, uh, the bodies of rockets that get us up, uh, get the objects up into the orbits. And since 1957, as I say, it's a slow and steady increase all the way through to the last 20 years where we've seen a real explosion in the number of objects that we've been launching all around the world. Uh, and those rates have been going up and up and up and up. So obviously here at the UN, we see these uh, growing numbers over time because we're receiving registrations from around the world here at UNUSA. And as those registrations come in, we obviously cat- categorize them and we make them public um, for everybody to see. And that's uh, the type of cru- crucial information that allows us to see these growing trends and really capture the significant levels of, of political and economic uh, investment that's going in to the space environment. And then obviously we have to remember that that investment wouldn't be happening if uh, there wasn't an identified tangible benefit to us uh, here uh, on Earth with regards to what the information and the data that we get out of all of these objects. And it's that dependency on on space um, and the dependency on the satellites and the other objects that we're launching for the benefit of our, of our lives here in Earth that are really kind of unlocking these amazing numbers that we're seeing over the last couple of years. 
And Francesca, what does this mean then? Uh, it's clearly very positive, as Ian said, for all the benefits that we get from space. But what does this mean when it comes to space debris? Yeah, so as Ian said, it's not only that uh, it's changing the number of objects that have been launched in space, but what's changing is also the, the type of objects. So usually now we, we launch smaller and smaller platform. So for example, if, if you look at the, at the numbers, uh, we see that in, uh, in the last four years, half of the satellites that have been launched actually have a mass that is smaller than 10, 10 kilos. And also, as uh, Ian mentioned, also there is, uh, we are shifting toward more commercial actors, some commercial operators um, in space. And so these three elements, so the, the number of objects that are uh, launched, the, the size and uh, who is operating these satellites are all key, very important factors to understand what can be done to limit the creation of space debris. And so understanding if the, the mitigation measures that they were written in another area, uh, area sorry, where we had uh, only large com uh, agency launching are still applicable now in this environment that has been changed so much. Mm -hmm. and, and so these mitigation measures that you mentioned, uh, what does that mean really? What, what's a mitigation measure? So they cover different aspects, for example, going from uh, the fact that you should not uh, leave your satellite in, a, in the operational orbits if this cannot re-enter towards the Earth uh, in a certain time frame, um, or the fact that uh, it should be avoided that the, the object can explode and create other fragments uh, in orbit, or also the fact that while you are operating a satellite of a or a rocket body, um, you should avoid that other pieces are simply released uh, during the operation of, of these objects. So they cover different aspects of the of the mission um, of the whole mission of these objects. Ian, twenty twenty has had by far the greatest amount of objects launched to date, and a large chunk of these are unregistered. What does that mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in raw numbers, uh, I mean, this podcast is being recorded at the end of November 2020. And uh, at the UN, we've already received over 1,300 registrations for, for 2020, um, which is by far and away a, a record. And it's uh, if you look back to 1957, it's, it's around 10% of all objects ever registered um, with the UN. So obviously we're talking if 10% of those objects are coming in the last 10 months, you can see where this is all heading. But uh, yeah, registration uh, rates are really important. You obviously see there's a percentage of registered objects and that fluctuates from, from year to year. But I think it's really important to point out that um, by and large, uh, spacefaring nations take registration very seriously and there's a, a really high record over the years of uh, objects being registered um, obviously that process gets challenged as new actors come on board because not everybody knows uh, all of the rules of the road um, and so there's an awareness raising piece to the work that we do here at UNUSA um, and then obviously there's a process between drawing down a treaty from the international level and getting domestic legislation and getting all the domestic regulations in board to actually process 
a registration and and that takes time um, and as space becomes more accessible for for new actors then obviously there's always a challenge um, to stay on top of things with regards to if a satellite's launched from um, an entity that is perhaps uh, ahead of where they might be at a national level with regards to legislation then there's sometimes a little bit of catch-up to be done, which obviously impacts the, the number of objects being registered. Um, but as I say, the key takeaway is that registration is very important and, and by and large, everyone takes it very seriously, um, which is great to see. But that obviously doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement. So if I've just launched something to space or I'm about to, what's the process? How do I register it with the UN? <laughs> well, that's it. It's, uh, it's quite shocking, actually, because obviously lots of things, most things in space is super high tech. Um, but when it comes to registration, uh, the registrations uh, to the UN are submitted via um, the permanent missions. So uh, the embassies that countries have, and typically that's in Vienna, where the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs is located. And then if the country doesn't have a, a mission or an embassy in Vienna, it, it maybe New York or Geneva. Um, and yeah, so it's an official note verbal, which is basically an official diplomatic letter. So a very nice, polite, um, worded letter with an attachment with the information about the object. And all of those letters go to a, a colleague here at UNUSA. Um, he has an office on the ninth floor um, of the E building here at the Vienna International Center. And, and he processes those um, and uh, registers the satellites um, on behalf of the entire world. Uh, and yeah, he does that very diligently. Um, but yeah, basically it's still just uh, very polite letters. So uh, letter in the post. We're trying to, I mean, there's there are conversations going on about updating this and digitalizing it all. And we, uh, from, from the UN's point of view, we're looking forward to, to getting a new consensus on on how this can be done. And Francesca, I know that ESA also has some numbers from something called the Discos database, uh, and that gives a different uh, different flavor of information. Um, could you tell us a bit about that, what, what we can learn from this? Yes. So yes, as you said, we have this, we maintain this database where we, we have um, different information on, on the spacecraft that are launched into space. For example, if you want to retrieve the, the size of this object, the, the mass uh, or the shape or uh, the operators, all this, all this information uh, is collected in, uh, in our database. And this database is used from ESA, for example, but also by other uh, agencies, uh, for example, for uh, during the process of the collision avoidance, so really in the operational uh, reality and the day-to-day -day operations of satellites, but also having all this information also enables uh, general studies um, to understand the better the, the trends in the in the debris population or the trends, for example, in how we, we are using space. So, for example, if you want to see how many uh, objects from constellations um, have been launched in the in the last years, uh, thanks to the, this database, we can have this insight. And uh, actually, the, the database is um, freely accessible from our website. So you can just uh, register and browse, browse through it and see these, uh, these numbers. Um, so it's available for everyone. Well, we can put the link to that uh, in the notes of the podcast so people could find it. Um, 
yeah, that's interesting. And you also mentioned constellations, which we haven't touched on. I guess uh, constellations are one of the reasons that the number of launched objects is increasing. Yes, yes, absolutely. So they are um, for sure one of the of the components of this um, uh, increase that we have observed in these last uh, last years, definitely. So constellations or mega constellations are huge formations of hundreds, sometimes thousands of small satellites launched into orbit and working in unison. Uh, most often it's to provide global communication services, but because of the sheer number of them, um, they risk creating even more space debris. Yes, so it's just as Ian mentioned before, just because the scale that uh, of the use of space that we are witnessing now is very different from anything else that we have seen in the past. And so it's uh, natural probably that we have to adapt to this uh, new reality somehow. Could I just add, mega constellations really is a, a new paradigm. It's, it's potentially going to be providing services that have never been possible before with with huge huge benefits for the global population but yeah as as francesca just touched upon and as well rosa with your question it's it it does put into much sharper focus that question of space being an environment um and as all environments there are limits and there's carrying capacities and it just means that as a, as a community, as the international space community, we all have that common interest, first and foremost. And then obviously we then go down the path with regards to responsibility to make sure that we can extend that carrying capacity for as many years to come. Space as an environment, um, there obviously is a limit. And, uh, and that limit in many ways is dependent on uh, how well we cooperate and how well as an international community we we realize the mutual benefits of, of both conducting space environment uh, space activities sustainably um, and obviously a big 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 part of actually delivering on that uh, that potential is uh, space debris and getting on top of the space debris problem and making sure that uh, space debris and all of the reasons that we have space debris in our orbits um, are reduced uh, over the near medium and long term so we can keep launching satellites and keep launching uh, mega constellations and keep unlocking the benefits of space. Yeah, Ian, as you mentioned earlier, this is a new era really for spaceflight and how successful we'll be at keeping space sustainable will depend on uh, international cooperation and transparency. Yeah, it's a really interesting time. So to wrap up, what would be your kind of take home message from this topic? What do you want people uh, to really remember from what we've talked about today. Francesca, how about you? So yeah, as, a, as I said, so we are witnessing a very important change in how we, we use space. And it's important to think how uh, we can continue to do this, uh, to use space in a sustainable way. So as Ian said, um, we we are happy that more and more people can benefit from the from what space can offer but we also have to think how we can preserve uh, this for the next generations and think how we can avoid uh, the the production of uh, debris in the future in this new scenario um i think the main takeaway is uh is to definitely have a lot of hope um, I think the points Francesca made with regards to discourse are really crucial in that the, the amount of public open source information 
being shared um, in the space community it, it is huge um, and it really kind of is indicative of this commitment um, to, to uh, sharing the benefits of space, um, cooperating um, with each other across different actors because everybody realizes that you really can't do space um, on your own. And I think the main takeaway from, from my side is um, from, from information sharing, from uh, making sure that space objects are registered, um, and from making sure that we manage to get on top of the space debris problem so we can keep those launch rates going up and up for many years to come and keep the benefits of, of space flowing into as many lives as possible um, is, is entirely dependent on maintaining that commitment to um, working together for everybody's mutual benefit. And so I think that that's the main, the main takeaway. It's, uh, it's to be very positive about the future, but realize that we'll only reach that positive future if we uh, if we maintain and enhance uh, the ways that we all work together. So thanks for listening. You can find out more about space debris and the work being done to tackle it at isa.int forward slash space debris and at usa oosa dot org and follow the hashtags spacecare and space sustainability on Twitter to join the conversation.